You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. If you have your Bibles, we are going to be in Exodus tonight. Exodus chapter 12 is where we are going to be picking up this evening, but we are going to be making our way through part of chapter 12 and into chapter 14. And if you are taking notes this evening, the title of our message is Fresh Freedom. Fresh freedom, that is what we're going to be looking at tonight. And uh, just to remind you, it was Moses that wrote the book of Exodus. In fact, he wrote the first five books of the Bible, what we are studying over the course of last year and prayerfully this year as well. And the book of Exodus, we've broken it up into two sections. It divides nicely uh, between chapters 1 through 18, where we see the deliverance of God's people, and then into chapters 19 through 40, where we see God's people really find their identity as his people, whereas they are now out of Egypt. What's going to start really tonight, um, they are out of Egypt and are going to be seeing how God is calling them to live, to walk as his people, the same way God calls us, as he liberates us from the bondage of sin and the flesh and and death, what we are all born into, well, we are saved by the Lord. We are delivered and become his people, become his children. But that also sets us on a trajectory to learn the Lord and learn more of what that looks like. The book of Exodus really parallels our life in the Lord so nicely. And if you've been with us over the past few weeks, the act of delivering God's people from Egypt has been in full swing. As Moses, being used by God, has been commanding Pharaoh to let God's people go. And Pharaoh, of course, consistently has said, no, I'm not going to do that. He refused. And as a result, God has sent 10 plagues on the land of Egypt. These plagues, these signs and wonders that impacted the land, the livestock, and of course, the citizens of Egypt. And the most significant of these plagues, we studied at length last week, where we saw the final one where the Lord visited Egypt and killed the firstborn of every human and animal that was in Egypt. From Pharaoh to the poorest citizen, there was death, the Bible says, in every household of the Egyptians. And we saw that in that plague, there was a distinction that was made, again, between the Hebrews and the Egyptians. And the Hebrews were instructed by the Lord and through Moses to have a covering over their houses, a covering that involved the blood of a spotless lamb that they, would, that they took in and then sacrificed. And then they took the blood and put it over their house. And it was as the Lord passed through that he saw the blood and passed over the house and the plague did not enter. And it was this final plague that solidified the release of God's people. It solidified that, but it also was that which set up a feast of remembrance of the salvation and the deliverance of God's people from Egypt. And of course, as we studied last, last week, really foreshadowed the salvation that was offered to the whole world, that is offered to the whole world through the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you missed last week, I encourage you, go find it. It's online because tonight we're moving on. And as we move on tonight, where we ended last week, we saw the people commanded by Pharaoh and urged by the citizens of Egypt to leave Egypt quickly. In fact, you could almost see it as a bribe to the people to leave. As they were leaving, God instructed them to ask for stuff. They asked for stuff and the Egyptians gave it willingly. They gave gold and silver and provisions to God's people as they kicked them out of their lands. And as we open up the text tonight and move through our study, we're going to see this freedom, this new freedom of God's people and them really starting to walk in it. And with that freedom and that new life, we are going to see instruction from the Lord as well as 
clear leading and some reinforcing, or you could say securing of that freedom by the Lord as well. It's, a, it's, a, it's an action-packed night tonight as we study the Word of God. And so let's go ahead and get into it. We're going to start in verse 43 of chapter 12. We're going to read into chapter 13 through the 16th verse, and then we will pray and then continue on. So Exodus chapter 12, verse 43. It says, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat it, but every man's servant who is bought for money, when you have circumcised him, then he may eat it. A sojourner and a hired servant shall not eat it. And in one house it shall be eaten. You shall not carry any of the flesh outside the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord, let all of his males be circumcised. And let, let him come near and keep it, and he shall be a native of the land. For no uncircumcised person shall eat it. One law shall be for the native born and for the stranger who dwells among you. Thus all the children of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And it came to pass on that very same day that the Lord brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt according to their armies. But then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. And Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand the Lord brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. And on this day you are going out in the month of Abib, and it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, that you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. And unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and no leavened bread shall be seen among you, nor shall leaven be seen among you in all of your quarters." You shall tell your son in that day, saying, This is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt. It shall be as a sign to you on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the Lord's law may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt, and you shall therefore keep this ordinance in its season from year to year. And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers and gives it to you, that you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb, that is every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have, the males shall be the Lord's. But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, and if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And all the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. So it shall be when your sons ask you in the time to come, saying, What is this that you shall say to him? By strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And it came to pass when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of the man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all males that open the womb. But all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. And it shall be as a sign on your hand and as a frontlets between your eyes, for by strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Pray with me if you will. God, thank you so much for this day. And thank you, Lord, again for the time we have, Lord, and the opportunity to study your word. Lord, help us to understand it tonight, Lord, I pray, as we study and see all of what you have done. And Lord, what you want to continue to do in our lives, Lord, we read tonight and ask, Lord, for your help. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as the people of Israel are leaving Egypt, God, you noticed, wastes no time in giving instruction there to Moses for his people. 
And the verses we just read, they really give us some insight into some first instructions for his people as they are now free and starting out on their new lives. As we just read, God is giving some instructions, some specific instructions and details surrounding the events of the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, as well as with the firstborn. And with the feast and with the remembering and the dedicating of the firstborn, these are all meant to be set up as things to remember the work that God did in Egypt. And he starts first with laying out some details about the Feast of Passover. You see, God sets up some regulations for Passover, adding to the standards he set up earlier in this chapter. And the reason for this, the reason for these new standards on the way out of Egypt, well, it has largely to do with the fact that as the Israelites went out of the land of Egypt, they went out as a mixed multitude. You see, what we read last week, if you were with us, there in Exodus chapter 12, verse 38, it says, a mixed multitude went up with them, that is the Israelites also, and flocks and herds, a great deal of livestock. And it's because of this mixed multitude that goes up with the Israelites that God sees it fit to give some new standards. Because understand that with these mixed multitudes, what is indicated here and what we will see later on as we study the Old Testament is that there are some Egyptians that decided, hey, as the Israelites are going and we've seen their God beat our gods, we're going with them. We've seen that ours are, are no match for the one true God that they are following. So we are going to take our chances in the wilderness alongside of them. And so we have Egyptians that go up out of the land of Egypt alongside of the Israelites, of course, creating a mixed multitudes. However, God did not want his people to immediately let them into the same practices just because their proximity changed. There had to be not just a change of location, but understand a change of heart, not just a commitment to go with them, but a commitment to the Lord as well. And so God, he gives these standards. He sets up some standards for those that were already with the people. And as well, he sets up standards for as they would go into a new land and of course would be surrounded by other peoples. He sets up standards so that they too, as they would seek to join in with the Israelites, well, they as well could partake. And we see there the verses that we just read that no stranger or sojourner, no hired servant would be allowed to eat the Passover unless, of course, they were circumcised, they and all the males of their household. They had to make a commitment to the Lord and hold to the commitment and the standard that the Lord set up for his people. And so God here, as they are leaving Egypt with a mixed multitude, he gives instruction for the Passover immediately upon their departure. But he also gives some instruction as well on the Feast of Unleavened Breads. Now, I know that verses 1 and 2 of chapters 13 have to deal with the firstborn, but so do chapter 11 through six, or verses 11 through 16, so we will revisit that in just a moment. But we look first at the Feast of Unleavened Bread. What was a matter of necessity in their leaving Egypt, God wanted to turn into a feast again for reminding and was to be instituted, you notice, and carried out as the people came into the promised land. So this was actually looking forward to the future of God's people taking over the land that God had for them. But he says that for seven days, no leaven was to be eaten. No leaven was to even be found in the houses of the Israelites. They were to completely get rid of it, to move it out of their houses. And as they ate for those seven days, the unleavened bread, and were cleaning out their houses, the whole feast was a celebration and a reason to tell the kids, to tell the future generations what God had done. 
of how God had so quickly delivered them out of Egypt so fast that they had to just take whatever dough they had and bake it right then. It didn't have time to rise. They were moving as the Lord delivered them. And it was all for future generations of showing them that God, that he had worked mightily. And so God gives instruction for the Passover as well as for the feast of unleavened bread, but also to, again, in verses one through two, and then in 11 through 16, he gives instruction on the firstborn. This law of the firstborn, we see there in verse two, what does it say? It says, consecrate to me, this is the Lord speaking, consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, the Lord says, it is mine. See, God here speaks to Moses and tells him that all of the firstborn of man and beast, they belong to him. And he says there in the New King James Version, consecrate, perhaps your Bible says dedicate or sanctify, but it all has the same idea here. This idea that the firstborn of the humans and the firstborn of the livestock, the firstborn males and the firstborn of the livestock, they were to be set apart, designated as special to the Lord, given over to him. And the law of dedication, the law of dedicating the firstborn to God, again, was only to take effect when they were in the promised land. Notice that God is again setting up for future residents in that land. And it as well was to serve as a reminder of the work that God did in Egypt to save his people. And as we study the rest of the Old Testament, specifically the first five books of the Bible, we're going to see Moses elaborate on this law as he receives from the Lord in Leviticus chapter 12 and in the book of Numbers chapter 18. But to just give us a summary here, the dedicating of the firstborn to God would involve sacrifice of every clean animal. So if it was a lamb or of the herd, it of course would be sacrificed to the Lord. If it was a donkey, then you would substitute that with a lamb because a donkey is an unclean animal. And if you were unable to uh, provide a lamb for the donkey, well, you had to break the donkey's neck and that would be, that would be counted. And in Leviticus, we see the price of a child, again, is a lamb, or if the family was too poor to afford a lamb or offer a lamb, two turtle doves would be sufficient. Which if you know your New Testament, you know the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke in Luke chapter two, verses 22 through 24, that's what we see Mary and Joseph doing. As Mary brings baby Jesus to the temple there to, to dedicate him to the Lord, she brings there the two turtle doves for that dedication. So we see the New Testament and then the, the, the family of Jesus, they're practicing what they were commanded to do. It's really cool to see that. And God here, he sets these things up here as the people are leave, leaving Egypt. Again, they are fresh out of bondage. We're talking like they are on the road. They are headed to Succoth and they are camping along the way. They're getting there. And the Lord is already speaking to them about what it looks like to be his people, about what it looks like to look like his people, that he has set it apart for his purposes. And this is something, my friends, to take, to take note of because it's not something that is exclusive to the children of Israel here, but it's something that God does and wills to do in all the lives of his people. Where understand as God s delivered his people here out of Egypt, he didn't wait to start instructing them. No, he met them and started instructing them immediately. In the same way he desires to do for everyone that would accept the gift of salvation, that would accept a relationship with him. God doesn't just like put us on a shelf and wait a couple of days. I'm just gonna make sure that, you know, it sticks. I'm gonna make sure that you're really ready for it. I'm gonna make sure that you, you know, check some boxes before I start instructing you. No, God desires to save and then start to instruct his people from the get-go. 
You know, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says, and no longer be conformed, we are to no longer be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, that we may know what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And that transformation, as we are, we know from 2 Corinthians 5, 17, new creations in Jesus Christ. That transforming from the old to the new, that training, that, that being transformed in the Lord, that's not something that God wants to wait on or wants us to wait on. No, it's something that God wants to have started immediately. As we are walking with him, the transforming, the renewing, God wants to do that. And this is such a great example of that right here, friends. Again, the people of, of, of Israel, as they are moving, they're headed to Mount Sinai right now. That's where God's taking them. So he can speak to them and relate to them his desire to be his people before he plans to take them into the promised land. And he starts the instruction as soon as they are released from bondage. And God desires the same thing for us. We should desire the same thing. Whereas we are walking in a relationship with him, as soon as that relationship starts, and maybe it started for you a long time ago, hey, understand God wanted to start transforming you, start ministering and instructing you. And he still does. He still desires all the way up until we are with him. And I firmly believe even after we are with him, he's gonna continue to instruct us, continue to teach us and show us more of who he is and more of how we are to learn and know him. And God, he starts doing that immediately here for them and wants to do it for us. And so it's neat to see this. And again, as we study the rest of the Old Testament, we're gonna see even more detail of God relaying these things to his people. And with this instruction given and recorded, Moses now records for us as we continue on in chapter 13 and into chapter 14, the working of God to now faithfully lead his people as he's taking them to the place he wants them to go. Let's pick up in verse 17 and see how the Lord is leading his people. Where it says, Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, Lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. And Moses, he took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. So they took their journey from Succoth, and they camped in Etham at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and night." And he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. As we read this text, we get insights into God here protecting his people as they left Egypt, saying that he led them along a wilderness way. And this way would have been a longer way. It would have gone around the block to go next door type of thing. It would have been a longer way to go to the promised land compared to the direct route that Moses here references. There's going to be a map on the screen. And as you can see, there's going to be at the top a line that skirts right underneath the Mediterranean Sea. And you can see it say there, the way of the Philistines. That right there was a trade route that was established, what is known as the Via Maris, known as the way of the sea. And as 
as, Egypt, as, as Moses here says, as they left Egypt, this trade route, though it would have been comfortable, it would have been an easier road, it would have been full of Egyptian outposts as well as enemies along the way because it was well-traveled, it was a trade route, there was a lot of opportunity for theft and attacks. So it would have been easy, but also dangerous. And God anticipates this danger. And God also anticipates that his people, should they see conflict, should they meet opposition this early on, that they would desire to go back to Egypt. And so what does he do is he leads them not on the way of the Philistines up there skirting the Mediterranean Sea to go straight into, um, into Canaan, but instead he takes them from Succoth there, the wilderness way to Etham, and then down to what is going to be, um, what is going to be the Red Sea and to the banks of the Red Sea, uh, which we will discuss here in just a few moments. But that is there for you to have an idea of where they are. As God led them, he led them on this wilderness way. But we also see here, as we take a look at this, at how God led his people there in verses 20 through 22, where it says there in verse 21, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them lights. You see, as God showed his strength in the nation of Egypt, as he showed his strength there and put down the pantheon of gods over and over again that would have plagued that, through the plagues that he sent, well, the people would have come to know that God w- was in charge and that he was showing himself. But also, too, what we would know is that as they left, they would be looking possibly for that same leading. They would be looking for the Lord to show himself, and he did so. He led them there as a cloud by day and fire by night. This would have been a visible reminder to them of the Lord being with them, of not abandoning them, of not just saying, hey, you're released from Egypt. Now, good luck out there. I'll see you you when you get to the promised land. But no, God saw it fit to stay with his people and to lead them faithfully by day and by night. And it would have provided for them confidence, It would have provided for them also covering and light for their way. You know, in Psalm 105, which if you're taking notes, jot that down and read it maybe tonight before you go to bed, because Psalm 105 is a wonderful psalm speaking about the faithfulness of God. In Psalm 105, verse 39, we get insight into this pillar of of cloud and and of and of, of fire, where it says that he spread a cloud for a covering. That speaks of shade. That speaks of of leading and of shade and of provision, but also in fire to give lights in the night. You see, God provided for his people and he covered and lit the place and the way for the people as they were freshly out of Egypt. And he would continue to do this. He would continue to lead in this way as they wandered in the wilderness in the days to come. What did verse 22 say? It says, and he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. God led them and he led them faithfully in a way that they could see him leading. And you know, there are sometimes, actually oftentimes, where myself as a pastor, I, I get questions from people where they ask, you know, how can I know the will of God for my life? How am I to know who am I supposed to marry? What job am I supposed to take? What is my giftings from the Lord? What am I supposed to do with my life and serving the Lord? How is God leading me? And oftentimes people will say, man, it would be nice if it was like the Israelites. Man, if I just had a cloud just that I could look at and just follow along the way, that would be amazing. If I just had this holy anointed nightlight that went everywhere I went and just little arrows everywhere, that would be awesome. 
I've had people tell me that, and if I'm honest, I've wanted the same thing. I mean, it would be amazing. Like when you go to Ikea, you know, this massive furniture store, it's a maze. If you're ever in there, it's kind of trap. It's kind of a place that traps you. There's little arrows on the floor that just help you to navigate it. And if you find those, you're good to go. If you don't, <laughs> good luck. Because that's just, you can get lost in there. And I sometimes have desired even that the Lord would just show so clearly, you know, right in front of me, hey, go this way, do this. Hey, here's, here's a light bulb, go that way. We all want clear direction for our life. We all want clear communication on the will of God for our lives. And at times, we want and we pine after what the Israelites had here. But may I remind you of what 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, where it says they're speaking of believers that His divine power, God's divine power, has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him, that being Jesus, the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. And we discuss as we studied 2 Peter last year that what Peter is, is letting us in on here is the fact that all access, all direction, all leading, all of what God has for us, all of that is wrapped up in our relationship and our salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. Where through our relationship with him, we have access to everything that God wants to use and lead us in and through in our lives. We just have to identify and utilize what he offers. You see, we need to understand, friends, and tonight the text really lends itself, and we should take the time to understand that God gives us, he has shown us great means by which he wants to lead us, that we as the church, we may not have a pillar of cloud and a fire leading us by day and by night, but we do have things that God in his kindness have given to us. He has given us things, means he offers in which to lead us. And if you're taking notes tonight, some things to jot down uh, that he has given to us, you know, I think it's worth our time to remind ourselves of them or maybe to be educated on what they are for the first time. And the first one is simply the word of God, the Bible. What we tonight are here to study, what we tonight find in our laps and on our phones and have access to, understand God desires to lead our lives and gives us the word of God to help us with that, to do just that. You know, as we're talking about the, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, you know, we look there at Psalm 119, verses, verse 105, where it says, you probably know it, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I mean, how simple is that? How cool is that? You know, your word, the word of God, is there a lamp unto my feet? It's like this, this holy flashlight that I can just like shine as I read and I study and know that God, he's gonna direct me. It's a light unto my path. God desires to light my path, your path, our way through his words. Or, or what about Psalm 19, verses seven through eight? As the psalmist there speaks of the word of God, he says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. And the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And that is guidance type of language right there. Where through the word of God, through his statutes, through his commandments, we know the way and the will of God and how we should pattern and live our lives. And of course, you know, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. It says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see, God's word, he has given it to us to lead us, to equip us and to ready us for the life ahead, 
the life of salvation and sanctification and living on mission. You want to know God's will for your life? Hey, start reading your Bible and he will guide you. But not just with the word of God, he's also giving to us another means in which to lead us. And that is found in the Holy Spirit's. The Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, that as we read the word of God, we realize is dwelling within each believer. And understand that his role of leading and helping, that's exactly what he's here to do. That's why the Lord sends the Holy Spirit, so as to help and to empower for mission. That's what Jesus was telling the disciples there in the Gospel of John as he's speaking to them in the upper room. He says in John 16, verses 12 through 13, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you the things to come. See, the Holy Spirit has been given to us, to the church, to lead us, to help us as we live on mission with the Lord. As we desire to live out of the old life and in the new, we are called to walk by the spirits. We are called to trust in him and to seek the power of the Holy Spirit. What we're gonna be studying, even as we get further into our, into our study of the book of Ephesians on Sunday mornings, we're gonna see that the Holy Spirit is there as a means to lead us and to guide us in this life of the Lord's. And so we see the word of God, we see the Holy Spirit, but also to prayer. Prayer is another means by which the Lord desires to lead us. Prayer and communication with God. The access that we have is so clearly shown in Scripture. And if you want an example of that or a multitude of examples of that, I encourage you to read the book of Acts. I encourage you to read the book of Acts and see how the early church, the same church that we are a part of today, how they sought the Lord and sought how to be, how to be followers of the Lord as they prayed. They wanted to know, Paul wanted to know on his missionary journeys where he was supposed to go. He prayed, he asked the Lord and the Lord told him yes or the Lord told him no. You see clearly that as the church wanted to be led boldly by the Lord, that the Lord would give them boldness and he would lead them boldly forward. Read the book of Acts and see that. And we could also pray the same way David did in Psalm, in Psalm 25 verses four through five, where the psalmist says, show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths, lead me in your truth and teach me for you are the God of my salvation and on you I wait all the day. My friends, we can be led through prayer as we communicate with the Lord and the Lord invites us. He invites us to come to him and ask for him to lead us, to open up our heart and mind like what we saw with Abraham and all of the other patriarchs there as we studied Genesis. You know, they at times were frustrated. They at times didn't know where to go, what to do. And so they cried out to God. And he met them every single time. God will do the same thing for us. We know there in the book of James, James 1, where we are, we are called to, if we need wisdom, ask for that. And to know that as we pray and ask for that, God will give that. You wanna know how to go, where to be, how to be led? Seek the Lord in prayer. And really and truly, with the word of God and with the Holy Spirit being there available and ready to lead us and with prayer, really all of this can be summed up. And if you wanna be led by the Lord, pursue the Lord's, to pursue the Lord. Just pursue a relationship with him. Because understand, when we set our minds on the Lord, on his word, on his holiness, and wanting to hear from him and to know him, understand that he will lead you. He will meet you. If you sincerely are seeking after God, he will meet you. But that takes us setting our hearts and minds on the Lord, doing exactly what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 2 
where he says there, if then you were raised with Christ, will seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. He instructs the reader there to set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. If you want to know how God wants to lead your life, if you want God to lead your life, set your mind on him. Set your mind on the things of God. Again, on his word, seeking him in prayer, being led by the spirit, not by the flesh, not by the world, but seeking after him, pursuing the Lord. That will show you his leading in his life clearly. And again, we can get so wrapped up with thinking as we read here in Exodus, that the cloud and the fire as they're moving along, we can look for that and we can pine after that. But again, what we need to realize and remember is what Peter says, that all things that pertain to life and godliness, all things that pertain to life and godliness, we have been given those things through our knowledge of him, through the knowledge of Jesus Christ, pursuing a relationship with him. He has given us his word. He's given us his his spirit. He's given us access to him in prayer. We can run boldly into his presence. And if we pursue him, friends, if we seek him in his word and seek him in prayer and ask for the spirit to lead us, trust me, he will do just that. He will do that if you sincerely seek him, he is there to meet you. And on the other side of that, quite simply, if we don't do those things, then you won't see the leading of the Lord. Like again, in the same way that so many people are like, I just want to hear from the Lord. I want to know his will for my life. How do I do that? And then you say these things and then they come back later and they're like, I'm still not hearing the word of the Lord. I'm still not knowing how he's going to lead my life. You can just ask him, have you been reading your Bible? Well, no. Well, dummy, you're not going to hear him. Have you been seeking him in prayer? Well, no. Well, then, of course you're not. Have you been setting your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth? Are you, have you walked out of that sin that you know that he's calling you out of? Have you broken off that relationship that's keeping you from hearing and serving God? No. Well, then, duh, you're not going to hear from the Lord. As he has given us access to all things that pertain to life and godliness, they are there for us to take a hold of, but we have to take a hold of them. And if we don't, there's no one to blame. There's no one to blame in our life for not being led by the Lord, but ourself. Understand, he has given us the means. We just have to take a hold of him. We have to take a hold of his word and read it every single day, knowing that it's for us to read and to apply to our lives. We have to take hold of the leading of the Holy Spirit as he is there to help us and to lead us, to empower us for mission. We have to take hold of the access that we have in prayer. We have to take a hold of our minds and set it on the things above, not on things of this earth. And as we do so, God will lead us. We will see the leading of the Lord. Because understand, in the same way that we want to be led by the Lord, God wants to lead us all the more. I I would say that oftentimes, 100% of the time, in fact, I'll go ahead and say it, 100% of the time, God wants to lead us more than we want him to lead us. God wants to lead us, and he's waiting for us to surrender to him. He's waiting for us to surrender to his will and to the direction that he wants and the means in which he has given us to find it out. And so my friends tonight, if that's you, wishing for a pillar, and looking for a fire and a flashlight in the night, hey, trust me, God has given it to you. God has given you his word, all of us, the Holy Spirit to help us and to lead us. He's given us the means. We just have to take a hold of him. And we have to utilize what he's given us. We see the children of Israel do that. And I pray that we would do the same. I pray that we would do the same because of the same way that he led them, he desires to lead us. And he led them here as they were freshly coming out of Egypt and he will continue to do so. 
But as we continue on, and we have one more story tonight in our text, we pick up with, again, the the people of God freshly out of Egypt. They are freshly freed, freshly out of bondage, and being led by the Lord. They have seen the Lord instruct them. They're seeing the Lord lead them. But as we read here in the text, and we're going to read all of chapter 14 here, what is the account of the Red Sea crossing? As we read this tonight, what we're going to see is the Lord not just instruct them, not just lead them, but in their newfound freedom, he's going to secure them in that. Let's pick up in verse 1 and read the story. It's such a good story to read. Let's, Let's take it all in its entirety. Where it says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they turn and camp before before Pi-Harath, between Migdal and the sea, opposite to Baal-Zephron, and you shall camp before it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. And I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all of his army and the Egyptians, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this? That we have let Israel go from serving us. So he made ready his chariots and took his people with him. Also, he took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and the captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with boldness. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them camping by the sea beside beside Piharath before Baal-Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians, they marched after them, so they were very afraid. And the children of Israel, they cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness." And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. And the Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward, but lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. And I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over his army, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. And the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them so that it came between the camp of the Egyptians, the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that the one did not come near the other all nights. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea into dry land, and the waters, they were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea, all of Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. 
And it came to pass that in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians, and he took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. And the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians and the chariots and on their horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and the arm, all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them, not so much as one of them remained. But the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt, so the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Now next week, we are going to revisit the story of the Red Sea Crossing. And we're going to revisit it in a bit of a different way than a normal Bible study, as this event actually has wrapped up within it a lot of things where we get to see the handiwork of God shown even in our modern day discoveries and archaeology. And so we're actually going to take some time next Wednesday to revisit this and look at it from, a, from an archaeological and even an apologetic type of way. And so if you feel tonight we brush over this and you're bummed out that we don't talk about the Red Sea too much, come back next week and we will do that, it's going to be a lot of fun. But tonight, as we end, understand what we see here, and many of you know this story as we've been reading it. We have the people, they come now from Etham, and you can see they're on the map. As they come from Etham, they come down to what is the Gulf of, Gulf of Aquaba, where I firmly believe, and many scholars believe, the Red Sea crossing happened as they are on their way to uh, the Mount Sinai uh, location. As he leads them there, the Egyptian army bears down on them and is coming upon them, of course, because they're upset. They lost their workforce. Pharaoh is like, what just happened? So he, 600 chariots and his whole army, they take off after the Israelites. And as they come to the beach there, the people of God, they look there at, at Moses and they, of course, start to complain what is going to be a trend of theirs quite often throughout the text. They start to complain and say, why did you bring us out here? We told you we didn't want to leave, which was a lie. And it would have been better that we were in Egypt, which of course was a lie. But nonetheless, they complain all the more. And as they complain, Moses says, hey, stand still and watch the deliverance of, your, of God. He is going to fight for us. And he's bold in front of the people. But it's indicated in the text, he was terrified because the Lord's like, why are you crying to me? Chill out, walk forward. <laughs> He's like, you go forward, be bold, stretch out your rod over the sea. And he does that. And as he does, of course, what we see is we see that the pillar of cloud and fire, it goes behind them, which is really cool to see that God not only led them, but preserved them from behind. And all the night as this east wind blew there on the sea and made this dry ground for them to walk across, what we see there is we see that God took care of them and provided for them. To where the next morning as they walked forward, they walked across the Red Sea there on dry grounds. Now, as the Lord was leading them, of course, we read there that the Egyptians pursued. They pursued and the Lord, he, he causes confusion. He causes issues with their equipment. We see that they are trapped there. And then the Lord commands Moses, hey, stretch your rod back over the sea. The water crashes down and the Egyptians, they are drowned. And again, next week, we're gonna talk more about that. But for tonight, we skip to the end Whereas the people of Israel, as they reach the other side, and God tells Moses, to, of course, to extend the rod and the people, the, the waters come down upon the Egyptians. 
the chapter ends with a, a rather gruesome but appropriate picture for the reader, where it says that of, of the dead Egyptians, they were clearly seen on the seashore by the people. And we see that as they, as they see that, verse 31, after this picture is painted, it says, thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. And so the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. You see what happens here, friends, and what we end with tonight is we see, though gruesome, we see that seeing the dead Egyptians on the seashore, that seeing their equipment, I imagine, floating, the wood that would have been floating there from the chariots and different things like that, seeing the debris and seeing the carnage, quite honestly, that it would have been. Though gruesome was an appropriate thing for God's people to see because they knew that in that moment, their freedom was secured. That their freedom, that the Lord leading them out of Egypt, all that he did in Egypt and all the way that he had led them thus far, and now standing there with the waters have cl having closed back up and the Egyptians dead on the seashore, their freedom in their minds was solidified. They had a visual picture God had set up, though gruesome, a visual picture for them to realize we are free. We are no longer in bondage. God has brought us out of the land of Egypt and is going to lead us further into the freedom that he wants us to be in. And I end on that tonight, we end on that tonight as we look at this fresh freedom of God's people coming out of Egypt. Whereas we have seen God instruct them and transform them, start that transformation process from the get-go, where we see him leading them clearly and offering them clear instruction as they're going to go and will continue to do that. Something else that God does here is the same thing he does for us. Where in the same way that he gave them a picture of their freedom being solidified, so too has the Lord set up in his word and in the finished work of Jesus Christ something for us to look at to see that our freedom from the bondage of sin and the bondage of death and the results of sin and the separation that sin brings God too has set it up for where we can look and see that our freedom in Christ, that that is solidified as well. And if you have your Bibles, I wanna invite you as we close out tonight to turn over to the book of Colossians with me. It's in the New Testament, the book of Colossians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. They're in chapter two. And I wanna read there starting in verse 13 about how the Lord himself has set up for us. And this is just one, one example, but it's a good one. And one, Colossians is honestly my favorite New Testament book as it talks about the supremacy of Christ in so many ways. And this right here is such an amazing thing for us as God's people to look at because it gives us this example of our freedom in Christ being solidified. As it says there in chapter two, verse 13, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He's made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed the principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. You see, what we see here, friends, what Paul writes of here in the book of Colossians, is about Jesus finishing the work on the cross of Calvary. He not only there sacrificed himself, he not only there bled and died, but he there nailed to it the requirement that was against us. He there nailed all the things, all the sin and the transgressions and are not matching up to the standard of God. He nailed it to the cross and left it there. 
He left it there so that we, on the other side of the cross, so that we, on the other side of the finished work, having that finished work applied to our lives, could look at that and say, ha, I am free in Jesus Christ. I am in Jesus Christ, free from the bondage of sin, as we see in Romans chapter 6. I am free from the, the standard that is against me that I can't match up to. I am free and able to walk forward in Jesus Christ to where I can repent of sin and leave it to where I can see that the old man has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live now, I live by faith. I am able to live this life. We are able to live this life, friends. And in the same way that the Israelites, seeing those dead Egyptians on the seashore, seeing that water closed up, creating a physical barrier between them and their bondage, so too do we have the same thing. And so too, as they needed to be led by the Lord into their new life, so too do we need to as well. They were able to, in that moment, take a hold of the life that God had for them. And we as well need to make sure that we are doing that every day of our life. Every day of our life, taking a hold of the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ and what comes with that. And again, in the same way it was for the, the Israelites, it is for us. It's freedom. It's freedom in the Son and freedom in the life that he has given us to walk out of sin, sin that perhaps you came in here tonight struggling against that habit that you are, are, are frustrated with, that sin that you're wanting to kick, that mindset, that habit, whatever it may be, understand that Jesus, he died for that. He died so as to give you freedom and to lead you forward out of that. That relationship that is hard and that you're trying to navigate with the person that you're in it with, whether it be a marriage or, or whether it be a friendship, Understand that Jesus provides freedom through his spirit and leading by the spirits so as to be able to live according to his will in freedom from the sin and from the flesh and the world and how this says to go and to live his way. But in the same way that we have to take a hold of the means by which he's given us to be led, so too do we need to take a hold of and live in the freedom that he has for us every single day. And so I ask you tonight, friends, are, are you living that way? Are you living tonight in the freedom that Jesus offers in a relationship? Freedom from sin and the penalty of sin. Ultimately realizing an eternity spent with the Lord. But are you living in that today? Are you living in that today and taking a hold of that and all that that means? Which means that you are being led by the Lord. Allowing yourself to be led. Not seeing Egypt across the way. Not seeing that old life on the other side of the chasm that the cross, the cross bridged but seeing the life in front of you that Jesus has for you. Are you walking tonight in that? If you are, praise the Lord. If you are, praise the Lord and stay there, continuing to be led by the Lord, continuing to take a hold of the means by which he wants to lead you. But if you're not, if you're not understanding the Lord tonight, as we see here in the word of God, he finished the work. He nailed all of the things to the cross so as to give us freedom and new life that we can walk forward with him. And if you tonight have never taken a hold of that for the first time in salvation, tonight is a great night to do that. To realize that you are separated by your sin from the Lord, but can be reconciled to him through the finished work of Jesus and have freedom from sin, have freedom from the bondage of sin. Tonight for the first time, I encourage you to do that. Or perhaps tonight, this is a reminder of what God has saved you out of. What he has before you is freedom to live with him, led by him every day of your life. And you need to surrender to that. 
Surrender to that by surrendering that sin that has been plaguing you, that God offers salvation from and the ability to walk out of as he works in and through you, as you surrender every single day to him, to walk in that relationship with him that he offers tonight, my friends. It's a great night to walk in the freedom that he has. But again, the same way that we have to take a hold of the means by which to be led, you have to surrender. You have to surrender to the life that he wants to lead you in. And so I encourage you tonight to do that. I encourage you tonight in the same way that we worshiped earlier and asking the spirit to lead us, so too would you ask that tonight and ask Jesus to lead you into all that he has for you, knowing that he has given you all things that pertain to life and godliness through a relationship with him. If you are in a place where you're not walking in freedom, Jesus has that for you. And I encourage you to seek that out through him tonight. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for this night. And Lord, I just thank you and I praise you for your goodness and your grace. Lord, how you have given us your word. So, so amazing, Lord, just to see that. What an extension, God, of your kindness. An extension, God, of your goodness and how you want to lead us, Lord. How you didn't see it fit to just save us and leave us to guess. But Lord, you gave us your word that we may live according to it and walk in the way that you want us to. Lord, I just thank you for that. And Lord, I thank you so much for these that are here tonight. And as we have opportunity, opportunity to hear your word, pray now that we would apply it. And we'd apply it realizing that in the same way that you led the Israelites, so too do you desire to lead us. In the way, God, that you desire to solidify the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ, as you, you, you desire that, Lord. You desire, Lord, to solidify our freedom and for us to walk in it and be led in it. So God, I ask tonight that we would lean into that simply that we would do so. And I pray for every heart here, Lord, to desire to be led by your Holy Spirit. As you right now, I believe, are speaking to each one of us, Lord, may we respond to you in that way and trust what you have for us. And right now, friends, I wanna encourage you to be real with yourself and be real with the Lord. And to see if tonight you are walking in the freedom and walking in the relationship, walking in the leading that he has for you. If you're walking in the life that he has made you for, as he has a plan for every single one of us. I wanna encourage you tonight to know that if you're not a believer in here tonight, I mean, you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that he offers that through the finished work that he accomplished on the cross and by resurrecting from the grave, you can be saved tonight through that work and your faith put in that. And I encourage you to do that. And you can do that right where you're at by simply confessing, by simply asking the Lord to save you. I encourage you to do so. If you do so and want to talk more about that after this service, let's talk about that. But also too tonight, if you are a believer in this room, I want to invite you to be real with the Lord and to see if you are truly being led by the Holy Spirit. If the means by which he is wanting to lead you, if you are leaning into that and allowing that. And if you are, then praise the Lord. If you're not, And right here in this moment, in the silence that we're sitting in, I encourage you just to pray, just surrender yourself to him. Just surrender it all to him and allow him to lead you from this moment forward. And we are gonna take a moment as the church here in this room and allow the Lord to speak to us in this way. And you personally respond to him there in your chair. If getting up and making a move helps you to solidify that decision, 
hey, the altar, of course, is open. But I want to encourage you right now, where you're at, seek the Lord and surrender afresh to him.